Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to 2 Timothy, and we're turning to chapter 3. Uh, we have been working through Paul's letter to Timothy in our evenings together, and we're coming to the third chapter this evening and looking at verses 1 through 9. In the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 996. 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses. So these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men." What do you think of when you think of the last days? Uh, maybe our mind turns to um, uh, some imagery of uh, cataclysmic disaster, uh, some uh, cosmic disaster uh, uh, in, the, in the sky, in the heavens. Uh, maybe it is uh, some um, world-ending threat. But as we come this evening to Paul's letter to Timothy, you'll notice that Paul here is giving Timothy something of a depiction of what to expect in the last days. And as he's telling Timothy of what to expect, you'll notice that he is contrasting two forms of love, two different loves. There is a love of self and there is a love of God. And he is telling this to Timothy so that Timothy can make sense of his situation. Timothy, you remember that Paul has already told him that there are people that have been led captive by the snares of the devil, that they have been led into traps by Satan himself there at the end of chapter 2. And this is something of uh, the, the situation in which Timothy is finding himself. There are false teachers all around him. And so as Paul is writing to Timothy now, he's impressing upon Timothy how it is that he should understand his own situation. And this evening we want to look at these verses of uh, chapter 3, and we want to really contrast these different forms of love, these different lovers. There are those who will be lovers of self, and there will be those who are lovers of God. And we want to look at these verses in those two thoughts. Well, first we want to think about this idea of lovers of self. Paul writes, but understand this, 
that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. When we hear the word last days, even people in the church can think that what is being meant here must be something in the far distant future. That what Paul is talking about here is something right before Christ returns. Because the words last days sounds like the imminent return of Christ will happen exactly after those days. But when you look at the whole of scripture, when you see what Paul says elsewhere and what the Bible teaches elsewhere, the language of the last days is not something strictly in the future. And it's not something that is uh, talking about the days right before Jesus returns, this small window of time. But rather, Scripture describes the last days to be referring to the time period between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Between when Christ came into this world born of the Virgin and when Christ returns to this world to judge this world. That whole age is described as the last days. You see this, for instance, when you turn to the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, you remember that uh, the Spirit was poured out on the disciples and people were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in the languages that people could hear and understand what the message uh, was being in their own language. And people were saying they're, they're drunk on wine. And you remember how Peter interpreted what was happening. He said, this is what the prophet Joel would say. That Joel in his own prophecy said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter could not appeal to that prophecy unless he believed that the time that he was living in 2,000 years ago was part of the last days. On the day of Pentecost, the spirit was poured out what, what Joel said In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And so Peter could say, this is that. We are in the last days. And we have been in the last days since Pentecost. But another passage that bears witness to this is in the book of Hebrews. You remember the book of Hebrews begins that God has spoken to our fathers in in various ways, at various times. But in these last days... God has spoken to us through his son. Hebrews is contrasting everything that preceded Christ with the time of Christ. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. So when we come to this passage this evening, it's important that we understand Paul's not, he's not punting to the far distant future and saying there's going to come a time when this is true. Rather, what Paul is saying is, is, Timothy, you faced much opposition in Ephesus. You've been facing false teachers. You've witnessed people being ensnared by the traps of Satan himself. And Paul is saying, Timothy, this is what is going to be happening throughout this duration of the church age that there will be times of difficulty. This isn't going to end. There will be hardships for the people of God. There will be suffering in this life. And so Paul is actually 
painting a picture of what the, the life of the church, what the life of faith looks like. It will be marked by times of difficulty. It's not just difficult, but there will be difficulty. And here, uh, Paul is explaining why. In these last days, there will be times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking to yourself, that doesn't actually sound like a bad thing. Uh, isn't, it, isn't it important that we, that we care for ourselves? Shouldn't we be concerned about our own well-being? Isn't that, isn't that common sense that we should be caring for ourselves? But Paul isn't talking about just caring or concern for our well-being, taking care of ourselves, when he uses the language of lovers of self. He's not just saying uh, uh, concerned, but rather he's really giving an assessment that a lover of self is talking about It's an assessment or an evaluation as to what is the greatest love that shapes their life. We are human beings. We we instinctively give expression to love. By love, we are cherishing something. We are saying, "This this is valuable. This is something precious. This is something that should be treasured and cherished. And so we love all kinds of things, with varying degrees of commitment or importance. We may have a certain food that we love. We have also uh, family that we love. We may have hobbies that we love. There are different intensities of love, but there is going to be something overarching our life that is shaping the direction of our life, something that has, has a, a power behind it, that, that is moving us, And whatever that overarching love is in our life is forming the direction of how we live. That is our greatest love. And so when Paul says in the last days there will be people who are lovers of self, what Paul is trying to say there is is that there will be people who their greatest love in life, they set their greatest affection in this world. What they say is most worthy of their loyalty and their devotion is actually to be bent in back on themselves. That what they're most attracted to, what they are most committed to is themselves. That love is something that is to be given to another. It is to be expressed in delighting in someone else. But that what will characterize this world is rather a bentness that turns back on oneself and that finds its greatest concern, its greatest cherished loyalty uh, in on oneself. So Paul here isn't just talking about being concerned or self-care, but rather he's talking here about what is the greatest love that we have. In fact, as you read through this whole passage, you'll notice that What Paul is really concerned about, what he's really working over, is this idea of the direction of our life. Or we might say the misdirection of our life. Because you'll notice that in this big long list of 19 items that he describes, it both begins and then it ends with direction. He begins by saying, 
In these last days, it will be times of difficulty. Why? Because people will be lovers of self. That's the direction they're going in. They're bent in on themselves. Rather than, at the end of the list, he comes back to rather than lovers of God. Instead of loving God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they will be characterized by loving themselves. And that is part of the fallen uh, condition of humanity. Uh, You see that again in the very list that he gives. And so when people do not love God with all of their strength, with all of their heart, people don't stop loving. We continue to love. We just direct our love somewhere else instead. We We are unavoidably going to love and cherish something. And those who don't love God are going to be turning their love to another source. They're going to be directing it somewhere else. So Paul here is talking about this uh, dynamic, this characteristic of uh, fallen humanity. They will be marked by a sense of loving themselves. And everything else in this list is really unpacking that. What does he mean when he says they will love themselves? What, what does that entail? And as you read through this list, you start to see the implications or the outworking of this love. When someone is most consumed with themselves, when their greatest love is themselves, these these things start to come to the surface. We see these features start to manifest themselves in our lives. And he starts to highlight them. They will be marked by lovers of self. They will be lovers of money. Wealth and success mean much to them, as does being a lover of pleasure. If they're bent in on themselves, then whatever pleases them becomes most important. They, they are people who are consumed uh, by these things. So it is something that has an enslaving effect because they start to looking to pleasure more and more to satisfy them. They look to their wealth more and more for their meaning and security and success in this life. Uh, it is something that they uh, are under the, the, the power of, something that they commit themselves to. But not only is this uh, enslaving, but it's also destructive. Many of these uh, descriptions that Paul gives in these verses have, have the deterioration of relationships being spoken of. Notice what he says. He says they will be marked as being proud. They will be marked as being arrogant. If my greatest love in life is me, if I'm most concerned about me and about my own wants, then everyone else goes down. If I hold my own interests above others, then I start to look down on the needs of my neighbor. I begin to have an arrogance that I'm more important than you. I begin to act very proud that I am better than you. I begin to have this mindset of being irreconcilable with you. If you're not for me, then I'm against you. We begin to have this mindset of uh, of being heartless, unfeeling, in other words. I'm more concerned about me. And your issue has nothing to do with me. 
These are all signs of the breakdown of relationships. Children will be not concerned about honoring and obeying their parents because they're more interested in their own needs and getting their own way. Do you see how these relationships are being torn apart? It's like a steamroller, really. When you, when you go out on the roads and you see that they're, they're building new roads, they have the asphalt down on the, on the road, and then a steamroller goes over that pavement and they flatten it all to make a nice, nice smooth surface. But in a similar way, the person who's bent on themselves is flattening everything else so that only they are still standing. This is ultimately the the be-all and end-all. And so a lover of self is someone who becomes enslaved to their desires. They become lovers of money. They become lovers of pleasure. But more than that, they begin to destroy, like an acid, the relationships that they have. They speak slander against others. They become people that are abusive towards others. They lack self-control in the way that they go about living their lives because they are consumed with self. And so Paul here is saying, do you see, do you see what happens when we elevate ourselves in an inordinate way? When we're living for ourselves, it should cause us to look at the fruit of that lifestyle. We become consumed with our own interests. We elevate ourselves over others. It, it begins to strain the relationships that we have with others because we're concerned about us and not about them. But Paul also says in these verses, not only that, uh, uh, that it's enslaving and destructive, uh, but it is also something that uh, brings much harm as well. Uh, he highlights there in verse 5 that it has the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. Now we realize that Paul here is not just talking about the world around, but he's saying this is what happens in the church. Paul here is concerned not just for lovers of self in the world, but lovers of self in the church. They are those who profess godliness. They are those who profess Christianity, true religion but they deny its power. Outwardly, there is a sign, a profession, allegiance to Christ, but inwardly, they are living for love of self. And here, Paul is trying to expose something of the danger that can happen in a church, where there is this dynamic of still being controlled by self and what happens as a result. He goes on to explain some of the uh, implications of this. Uh, he, he warns Timothy to avoid or to turn away from such people. Those who would uh, uh, confess godliness but deny its power. Those who are living, as it were, a double life. Paul says to turn away or to separate uh, from these people. And he explains why in verses 6 through 9. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Paul here is not saying that all women are weak or that all women are gullible. Uh, he's very careful because he says he's talking about certain individuals in Ephesus that were deceivable 
or certain women in Ephesus that were liable to deception. If there's any doubt about that, you simply have to read down to verses 14 and 15. Because there, Paul appeals once again to Timothy's mother and grandmother. His mother and grandmother who taught him the scriptures. His mother and his grandmother who were godly women who raised Timothy to be equipped with the faith. Mature women who were able to stand in very difficult situations so that Timothy would prosper in the security, in the protection of God's grace. So that he himself might be nurtured like a young plant in the vineyard of God. Timothy was blessed because of godly women. And Paul recognized that. But Paul here is recognizing as well that there were others who were under great pressures. That they themselves, it says, he explains what he means. They themselves were burdened with sins and led astray by their own desires. There was a certain cycle in their life where they were living under the power of sin and they didn't know what to do about it. And as a result, they returned again and again to their sins. They were under its weight. They were weighed down by their sins. And as a result, they were willing to listen to anyone about these matters, even the false teachers. And Paul is saying what happens then is these people who don't know what to do with their guilt are being led astray by those who have a different message. Those who are teaching a message of love of self rather than love of God. That's why Timothy needs to separate from them. Because ultimately these teachers are going to turn people away from Christ rather than unto Christ. So here Paul is warning Timothy about the dynamics in which he lives. This age will be marked by love of self bent in towards self. It'll, it'll reap uh, dividends. It'll cause the outcome of enslavement, of destruction of relationships, but it'll also be marked by foolishness. There in verses 8 and 9, he appeals to something that happened in the Old Testament. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these false teachers, these men, also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Notice what Paul's saying there again. These people had been removed from the church, the visible institution of the church. They have been people who had been disciplined. They had been disqualified, and yet their influence continues to leak. And there's a danger associated with that. And so here, Paul is warning that what they're doing is just like what happened in the Old Testament. When Moses appeared before Pharaoh, Moses was to be as God before Pharaoh. That he was to be the voice, the mouthpiece before uh, Pharaoh. And he was commanding Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Jewish tradition doesn't uh, names these uh, servants of Pharaoh, although the scriptures don't. Uh, tradition says these magicians that worked for Pharaoh were named Janes and Jambres. And these two magicians were said to imitate. They were said to do the same thing that Moses did when Moses caused his staff to turn into a serpent. They did the same thing by their secret arts. Although Moses' staff swallowed up their staff, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so here what uh, Paul is saying is, is that Timothy, in a similar way, you are to proclaim the truth. 
even though there will be some that oppose it. Their folly will become apparent in the end, just as it did in the Exodus. That what they were doing is, is they were opposing God. And God declared that he would stretch out his hand. He would vindicate his glory. He would rescue his people whom he loved. And so Paul here is telling Timothy to live faithfully in spite of the false teachers all around him. They were uh, declaring their own message, but it wasn't the message of Jesus Christ. And so there are some who are outwardly, even in our own day, that will use the term Christian or use the term church but they are actually preaching a different message than Jesus Christ crucified or that God saves sinners through Jesus. Christians should turn away from false teachers and teachers in the church should turn away from them as well. So there's the lovers of self that Paul is talking about. They will, they will be there because that's the bentness of our heart, that we are by nature consumed with self. The outworking of that love is, is that it brings destruction. It destroys our relationships. It brings foolishness because we're opposing the truth. But also it enslaves us as well. But if we're not to live as lovers of self, there must be something greater to live for that would prevent us from being enslaved that would, that would free us in such a way that we could still love our neighbor as we ought to. And ultimately, the scriptures teach us that it's a love of God that will do that. that. That we are to set our affections on something greater than ourselves. There is something greater than the creature. It's the creator that he is worthy of all of our affections, that we are called to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that this is ultimately freeing, that instead of being enslaved by uh, our pleasure, those who love God are able to look beyond their own interests. Instead of destroying relationships, it allows us to love our neighbor as ourself. Instead of foolishly and arrogantly assuming that we are the most worthy of love, to live our life ultimately for ourselves, It fosters a deep-rooted sense of humility and confidence in God as deserving of all honor and praise. That God is worthy. And that when a person lives for God, the effect is, is, is that it brings blessing to relationships. It brings a sense of orderliness to priorities. It helps a person to look at things in the big picture. But what scripture celebrates is that not only is God ought to be loved, but that God is lovely. That's what the good news is. That God who is, is God who loves. That the scriptures teach us that God so loved the world that he sent his son into this world. That the son of God took on flesh in order to take proud, arrogant, and disobedient sinners unto himself and to make them lovely. The scriptures celebrate that there is no greater love than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends. And so what is more worthy of our love than one who has loved us? 
What is more worthy of our affections than one who is infinitely great and who is entirely loving himself? Peter tells us on the day of Pentecost that God's love was shown by sending his spirit to change the hearts of sinners so that they would be enabled to respond to God's grace. It is a work of the spirit that causes lovers of self to become lovers of God. Romans chapter 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice how Paul uses that language. God's love has been poured into our hearts. By receiving the Spirit, it is producing a new love. It is producing a new affection that instead of being consumed with ourselves, we see something infinitely greater. And now with the psalmist, we want to say, not to us, but to your name be the praise. There is only two ways to live your life. There is a way of living that celebrates the love of God. And there is a way of living that is consumed with self. That everything ultimately reverts back to my will be done, my interests, my desires, or the celebration that God's will is good and right. Where are we at this evening? Are you living as a lover of self? Or can you say, by God's grace, I'm a lover of God? That God loved me and gave himself for me, as Paul says. Can you say that? We can talk theology. They could talk theology in Ephesus too. The false teachers could talk theology. But the question was, who do they love? Paul had to put people out of the church. People had to be excommunicated because they were ultimately leading people away from a love of God and turning them to a love of self. Do we love God? Or are we listening to a message that is ultimately consumed with ourselves? While the folly of Janes and Jambres was made evident in time, because God would show his deliverance of the Israelites, he would rescue them from Egypt, so all those who love God can live knowing that God's purposes will prevail and that God's glory will be vindicated. Just as the Lord brought deliverance from Egypt, so God will vindicate his greatness and his love will prevail in the end. How should we live our lives? We should be lovers of God. We should be lovers of God, but that happens by the Spirit's work causing us to see what God has done in Jesus Christ, sending a Savior to deliver proud, arrogant, disobedient, those who lack self-control, those who are irreconcilable, those who are uh, uh, divisive, those who have torn apart relationships, those who have lived lives consumed with self, which we all do day by day, and instead makes them into a people that at the end says, to God be all praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think over these words, that they would cause us to examine what it is that we cherish most of all in this life. 
We pray, Lord, that we would be directed by your spirit, that by your spirit, uh, the love of God would be poured into our hearts and that we would cherish and value and celebrate uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of God towards sinners. So go before us, we pray. Help us, Lord, to be uh, discerning, uh, recognizing that the love of self is something that creeps in and is a message that can draw us away from you. We pray that we would be people uh, who cherish the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.